0: Seria Chronicles is a Media Chronicles
1: production. Hello and welcome to the Seria a Chronicles podcast, Valentine's Day edition. I mean actually you guys are gonna hear this after Valentine's Day, but we're recording on Valentine's Day. And as you all know, in the Rizuki household, that means it's Chicken Wings Day, Mina.
0: <laughs> yes, it, uh, it absolutely is. But I haven't received my chicken wings yet. So, but I mean, I I think people are a little bit upset with me Um, by people. I mean, it's not that I have like a, a plethora of <laughs> uh, boyfriends, but it is Champions me. <laughs> it kind of sounds like that, right? But it's like, I, I'm sorry, but it's just a really busy day and the Champions League is tomorrow. And I just don't have time to like
1: celebrate this day, you know? I've got such an image in my head right now. Uh, you know, like, like, a, like a sort of, uh, uh, people might leave like bouquets of flowers for someone who is adored. Like just people like coming to your house in like homage and just leaving buckets of chicken wings outside. Yes. Oh my God, did you read the interview with Beto from
0: Udinese who said he used to work at KFC?
1: <gasps> I did not. <laughs> All I could
0: think to myself
1: You're kind of going."
0: Oh God, it's the first thing I know because in the title it said former KFC worker and I just thought, how did I not know this and why didn't I have this interview with you and can we get him onto the pod, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and like. My dad used to always say that one day I would be the CEO of KFC, but that dream never
1: came true. Never too so. late, Mina. Don't give up on your dreams. <laughs> and if you're from KFC and listening to this yes. podcast, there's someone here you might want to interview <laughs> for
0: the next CEO. But <laughs> better just might be my new
1: crush. <laughs> but But football romance, Mina. It could have been a romantic footballing weekend we had napoli inter we had atalanta event it was a big weekend in serie a and it felt like one of those big weekends where like big things nearly happened and then they, they didn't quite because um both the two those two big headline games i mentioned ended up in draws but if we want to tell a romantic story mina then what more romantic in football than the home kid scoring the big goal in the big game I know you love it Mina when we talk about Lorenzo Insigne at the homegrown kid who's by the way leaving to go and play in Toronto <laughs> if you want to say the 6th minute 40 seconds in the race of Insigne starts with the death of the Napoli in advantage exactly in the 7th minute in the course of the 1st I know you love it when we talk about Lorenzo Insigne. I have to say, I I, um, I, I really enjoyed the fact that he scored the first goal in this game because it was a penalty, which by the way, Lorenzo Insigne has scored six goals in Serie A this season, all penalties. Um, I actually had not even clocked at myself until this weekend. None of his goals in Serie A have been from anything other than the penalty spot this season. But um, I, was, I was just reading, funnily enough, before the game, I came across an interview uh, of his in a magazine called Rivista Undici, it's an Italian magazine, really good magazine. Um, and this then made it into my guardian article because I loved this little detail that after he missed his penalty against Torino earlier in the season, his sons, who are eight and six years old, like in the car journey on the way home, were like, Dad, like we're gonna have to show you how to hit a penalty um, when we get home because apparently you can't do it. And since then he
0: scored four out of four, it was a good penalty, wasn't it? I feel like these kids could be my own. <laughs> <laughs> Criticizing their father, and just like I would have done. <laughs> help. But maybe he's picked up some tips. It's all good penalties <laughs>
1: since then. I'm just saying,
0: it actually really was a great penalty, honestly speaking. And, um, and I know like it's, it's so funny because when it comes to Insignia and Napoli, it's just in total like the whole package just annoys me. But when I think of Italy, I, I, I can never think of an, an Italy side without Insignia, like, I do get a little upset about it. But if funny enough, coming into this match, I was reading some of the things that were written about him. And get this. Comparing him to last season, yeah. Six goals, last year it was eleven. Eighty-seven shots, I mean at this stage of season, eighty-seven shots, now it's sixty-two. Eighty-six touches in the area, now it's seventy-one. Thirty-four crosses, now it's twenty-one. Does he dribble as much? No, he doesn't. Yeah. So it was like this. And then I put in capital letters worsening. <laughs> and I just thought. It really does make sense that this would be his last season. But I wonder that what I find so interesting is how Spalletti's Napoli just allows everyone to partake in the action. So it's not that Insigne doesn't give a lot. It's just the fact that everyone is taking part, whereas perhaps there was a bit of a more or of a a dependence on him um, under other managers. But uh, I, I am very proud of him for scoring that penalty because sometimes I feel like he feels a lot of pressure in those moments, being the captain, but... I'm sorry. There's just so much about Napoli that once again irritated me in this match. And honestly speaking, Inter, I was disappointed that both of them were okay with the point. That is what annoys me the most. But especially Napoli because they are the team that is chasing. They should have really just done that bit more to try to secure the win. And the fact that neither side wanted to gamble on that, it depresses me a little. If mm. I'm
1: honest, I, I it was a fascinating game because the first half I actually thought and um, Napoli were were brilliant, um, and I. Yeah. I mean, it's no secret. Like we've talked about it loads. I'm, I, I'm a huge Victor Rosserman fan and it was like, he's back from injury. This is only his second start since the injury, which of course he suffered against Inter last time out when he fractured his cheekbone and his eye socket, um, which is a horrible injury by the way. Um, and he's just, when he's there, he's got so much movement in him. Like he's just constantly shooting this way, shooting that way, uh, I think Stefan de Vrij, who is a great defender, had an absolute nightmare and and of course gave away the penalty uh, trying to deal with him. And I thought that Napoli played at this great tempo in the first half and they scored that penalty after seven minutes and you thought it could easily have been more by halftime, right? Jelinski hits the post um, and, and Ossiman had a, a good effort into the side netting and it was a really intense first half from Napoli. And then it was like the goal that Inter scored to equalise which had a bit of the sort of unfortunate sequence of events about it, right? Because Cecho gets his first header all wrong and it just deflects back to him off D'Agostino and, and so he's got the chance to, to, to follow up and, and finish. It just seemed completely like, it was like a, a football had been punctured. It was like all the, the air just came out of Napoli and that um, sort of um, energy they had. And sure, they probably still had the better chances to win the game. Um, Handanovic did make a couple of quite sharp saves, but it felt like that all of the verve that was in that first up performance just wasn't there anymore in the second.
0: Is that because I wonder, like I've spoken about this before. And do you remember you, when Gab was actually on the show? And I was saying that what I felt a lot of the time is that into have a weapon that I think that comes at a premium sometimes in, in, in seria teams, they are very physical. And when they impose that physicality and when you, and when you mix that in and combine that with the technical quality and tactical intelligence the team has, then they are simply unstoppable. And Napoli was happy to play their game because at the, because at the start of the first half, and, and like you said, for, for the first 45 minutes, it was their technique that was prevailing over everything. And they just totally suffocated into, who we were making way more mistakes than usual. Obviously, Osiman and the power that he, that he sort of had over De and, and managed to extract that area was huge, you know? Um, But it just kind of seemed like they couldn't really dribble. They couldn't come out. There was something wrong. I do think there's a psychological block for Inter as well, because we just haven't been seeing these commanding performances that we know of them, you know. I mean, between, what, the 21st of November till the end uh, end of the year, until the beginning, I would say, of 2022, they were winning and they didn't drop a single point. And now I just feel like there's a point where you don't look at them and think to yourself, yeah, this is an especially strong team at the moment. So I don't know if there's some sort of psychological frailty that's coming out there. But then I feel like in second half, it's like inter-remembered who they are. And all of a sudden they're like, okay, we're just not going to let this happen because, you know, we've had a a half-time talk and we know who we are. And then we're like, we're going to come out and show who we are. And as soon as you, it's almost like as soon as you bark at Napoli, they go, okay, okay, okay. And they backed off. And that, oh my God, that is what annoys me. Because if they had stuck to their tactical philosophy and the way they play their football, it's good enough. It's good enough to get themselves the three points. You can see the goal. Okay, it's unlucky. But go and continue and enjoy yourself and try not to take this all so seriously. In, in there. But there's something about Napoli that I just feel like they're always accepting of crumbs. Okay, we're close enough to win the Scudetto. That's good enough for us. There's never a point where it's, it's not good enough and only the best will do. It's almost like they need to listen to those positive affirmations that I always take, the, you know, laugh at. <laughs> yeah. Which is a, a case of, you know, we are worthy. Let's try to fight for more. But it's almost like as soon as Inter barked at them, as soon as they were like, hey, stop a second, we're going to take over. That pretty just thought. Yeah, OK, go ahead. And that that for me
1: is why I don't believe in them. You know, I have a dog, Mina. So the, the, the barking analogy is one that I can get behind also, because this week, actually just yesterday, I took um, Ross uh, to meet um, someone where he might going to be going to stay at their house sometime. So I have someone else he can stay with when I need to go places. You know, when you see him interacting with new dogs, because this woman has dogs of her own, that, that like how dogs react to each other and the barking to like assert who's in charge is really interesting and how they sort of do that. Actually, I think that's a really it's a, it's a better way of describing Napoli, I think, than I've heard anyone for a while. Cause I agree with you. Like they are a team that that has so much confidence and swagger at times, then someone spooks them and they just lose it all. Um, and that is something that's been really sort of part of their character for a while. And, and it's funny because I don't think that's Spalletti's character. I think Spalletti is on the surface, at least quite no, I agree. And yet actually what he said after this game, really annoyed me because he sort of said, well, Inter have more quality than we do. And I thought, did they on the pitch that night? I'm not sure they did. In the squad depth, sure. Like I think Inter had the deeper squad in, in Serie A this season. And that's, you know, maybe Juventus uh, are close on that now with with the new signings. But I don't agree that Inter's 11 last night was more talented. I think I think Napoli played better because they were better. I think Zielinski can can mix it with anyone. I think Osimhen awesome is one of the, maybe the best um pure talent striker in Serie a is right up there. Um, and I agree. Mm. you've just got Koulibaly back who had some, some sort of slightly sluggish moments, but also made brilliant challenge on, on Dumfries at one point. You've got so much quality in that team and, and it does feel like there's a little step of, of belief still missing from them. So actually, I, I agree with that. And it did annoy me a little bit that he said that because I thought that's not true. You've got a really, really good team here and the thing is, we say this and there's always another chance, right? Because we said this after Saturday was there, but like with Napoli, you look at them some in a season like this and you think, if not now, then when? Because this team, this is as good a season as you're going to have to make that run, right? Like there isn't someone who's mm. completely in charge of this title race. Your team is really good. Insigne is about to leave. So you've only got him this season. Do it, like make that step and, and and they still could, right? This this draw does not take them out of this race at all. Um, when you look at where things were a few weeks ago, the points that Inter have dropped—they're in this—they're in this picture. But but this was an opportunity. This was an opportunity to, to really deal a blow in the standings, and I think also psychologically, because imagine for Inter if they come out of this having lost two games in a row against the two teams immediately behind them.
0: Exactly, and this. We talk about Gasparini, and one of the reasons why everyone admires him, and not just in Italy, but worldwide as a coach, is because he's somebody who, when his team's doing well, he presses on the accelerator and keeps going. And, And he wants to inflict a psychological blow. He wants his team to score four or five goals. He wants to keep going, and he's never satisfied. And he takes lots of defensive risks. But I'm which can be annoying, but with Spalletti, you know, he talks sometimes about the confidence of the teams, but you've just handed them a reason to say, well, we don't have as much quality, as Inter, So we should be satisfied with this one point. I mean, I was hopping on about, do you remember when Allegri was saying, you know, well, we've kept the distance the same between us and Milan. These are not the terminology and the words that you should use when you are trying to get your team to do better. You should learn from those coaches who are constantly demanding more or who speak with a level of confidence and I feel like with Gattuso, Maurizio Sari and, and and perhaps not Ancelotti as much, but who managed to accomplish great things in Europe with Napoli. But it, it's just this kind of always an excuse. There's always like, well, they are very good. So let's just be happy with and grateful for this one point with the crumbs of with the smell of a potential Serie A win. That, that's enough for us. You know, it's like walking outside KFC and smelling the bucket, but without actually going in and getting it, you know
1: we're not even sponsored by kfc (laughs) you should be let's call them
0: and then and i think that at the end of the day you want to change that mentality you as the coach it needs to start with you and i think that they've done well in going to players like osman and anguisa who who have that in within them within their bones you know always pushing till the very end but when you are changing your team and introducing muscle because you're so scared that Inter is going to start counterattacking and using their physicality then there is a part of me that just thinks you, then you don't actually believe in the Napoli style of football and if you don't then change it rather than just playing it when you think you can and then accepting the fact that it's not as good as all the other philosophies either you really have courage of conviction to win and die by your your play then I don't know, there's something wrong there. But to be honest with you, I'm also disappointed with Inter because I think that they could have also tried to elevate their performances. Um, but I can understand why at least a little bit more if they would be happy with the draw because they are at the top of the table. Well, not anymore because Milan's taken over, but they do have a game
1: in hand. And then, interesting, right? Because they lost to Milan. But I thought that after watching those 90 minutes, I, I came away with the feeling that, yeah, but Inter were better than Milan. They just, you know, things happen in a football match, Giroud... Turn that game on its head, but Inter were the better team. I came away from this game thinking that Napoli were the better team, which is interesting. Like that, those are different impressions, different games. Of course, it doesn't it doesn't work like mm. that, right? You don't stack. It doesn't mean because Napoli played better than Inter that they're going to be better than Milan, even. Um, but it, it, I am I'm, I'm only now sort of really sort of ruminating on that. I thought that actually like that was the feeling that I had after these games. I wanted to challenge you on something, Mina, which I know. You were saying on Twitter, talking about uh, Simone Inzaghi and your conviction still that this is better manager, better direction under Antonio Conte. And I'm being a bit deliberately provocative here, but, but let me finish. Okay. Was this not the whole, <laughs> the whole promise of Antonio Conte that he delivered on was no more Pazza Inter. This is going to be regular boring Inter and regular boring Inter got in front. And they stayed in front and that was that. Are we seeing a slip? Because that's Inter's story, right? Inter have had plenty and plenty of seasons in the past where they've had the most talented group in Serie A and not one. I mean, that's the story of the Moratti era writ large. Are we, are we losing that Conte normality on this Simone and Zaki journey?
0: You see, here's where I have issue when we compare things and contrast them. I think it, it's easier sometimes for us to talk about sort of Juve Napoli because for three seasons it was Juve Napoli, yeah. Um, I think that it was, you know, it's very difficult when people say to me, "Oh, you know, Antonio Conte stripped Juventus of their glory and you know took nine years away from them and won it." And in my head, I'm like, Milan could have done it to Juve and and Atalanta could have done it because they finished fourth <laughs> yeah so it's not Conte that did that it's them doing it to themselves why I have an issue with comparing these two is because firstly Napoli is is something to be looked at this season they weren't a contender last year this year I, I do think that they don't have the squad of what they had last year they they might what, on, on the other hand, they also benefit from being winners, so there is a psychological edge that they have. But in terms of technique, I'm really sorry, Ashraf Hakimi. No matter what someone tells me about Denzel Dumfries and how much he's grown, he's still not Ashraf Hakimi. And right now, when you consider that Edin Dzeko is 35 and the man they're depending on, Lautaro Martinez hasn't scored in six goals, in sorry, in six games, and hasn't contributed much to the Champions League, you know, it is it is a shock to lose somebody like Lukaku and replace them with what we're having right now. I think the overall game has improved. I think this is the team that's still in the running for for three more trophies. They've already lifted one. They are still in the Coppa Italia. They are still in, in, in the Champions League. They are not going to go from now until the end of the season playing one game a week like they did under Antonio Conte by the stage of the season last year. So it's difficult to judge. I don't know. And if they don't, if they don't manage to produce these concrete performances week in and week out, I can say to you, it's much harder to do it when you're doing it you know, every three days. And when you, at times, you know, don't have like a a Romelu Lukaku that you can always point at and feel like is the reference point and your leader that can carry things through certain references that you can depend on. Martinez is not somebody you can depend on. A 35-year-old who cannot cope on a physical level day in and day out is not somebody to depend on. So I don't know. I struggle. But I think with what he has, and with the game that he has produced, I think the balance that he's managed to seek. I mean, even, even Marotta said that he felt they had gone through, you know, electric storms, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. But he talked about, you know, tempestuous storms that they suffered over the summer. And he thought that this season would be one of great difficulty. But frankly, I still think that Inter may be wavering and they may not win this. But I still think that Indagi, up until this point, up until what we know and the facts that we have right now, to me, he's doing a better job.
1: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? What interferes with your happiness? Check out our new sponsor, betterhelp.com. Forward slash Seria A. This is our first uh, specific sponsor for the Seria Chronicles podcast, and I have to say I'm I'm really happy that it is because counselling is something that I I really believe in. Like I have had counselling at different times myself. Um, I admit that I didn't come to it until my until my 30s, but um for different things at different times, I found it to be a, a really beneficial thing. Just having someone outside your bubble to talk to and 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 share those experiences with, and I think that. Probably now more than ever, actually, um, with everything that's gone on in the pandemic, there's probably quite a lot of people uh, who've been quite stuck in their own bubble. And so um, I don't know how you feel about this, Mina. I think counselling can be a, a really good thing to do.
0: Yes, I think it's, it's a place where you feel you're free of judgment. Uh, you can talk to somebody who can, really, it's almost just like having a friend. I mean, Better help will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you'll you'll connect in a, in a safe and what you will hopefully feel as a private online environment. It's convenient, and you can start communicating in under forty hours. Um, this isn't you know just a, a sort of a crisis line. It's not self help. It's professional counselling done securely online. And if you are having any troubles, and and frankly speaking, it's like you said. I mean, it's. Nowadays, it is uh, a tougher environment that we're all living in. We have so much more expected of us. We are being squeezed all the time. and, And some of us would just appreciate a safe haven to talk to somebody outside of that world.
1: Yeah. I think for me, like it was a really big thing was just realizing like sometimes you have thoughts in your head that for whatever reason, you're not willing to say to people who actually know you. And when you have counseling, you can say things to those people. Feeling free of the consequence of what you've been scared of saying things to people for is, is often like, um, or scared it can be any, any reason you just don't want to talk about something. Absolutely. They have licensed professional counselors on betterhelp.com. Uh, they specialize in, in all sorts of areas, depression, stress, anxiety, grief, um, LGBT matters, uh, sleeping trauma. Um, anything you share is going to be completely com- confidential. Again, these are licensed counselors, completely professional and affordable. So I
0: want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's com/seria.
1: So the big upshot, Napoli, Draw with Inter, of course, at the start of this weekend, Napoli and Milan were one point behind Inter. Inter, of course, do still have that game in hand, you keep saying. Um, but Napoli didn't overtake Inter. Milan, however, did win their game. They beat Sampdoria 1 0. So Milan go top of the table. It's been a little while since we've looked at the La Classifica and seen someone other than Inter at the top of it. So it's exciting. It
0: mm-hmm. was
1: uh, an exciting. I was going to say an exciting piece of Route 1 football, but that is what it was, was Route 1 football. Um, Mike Magnan, whose distribution is probably an an underrated part of of his game and what he's brought to me, and he's a really, really effective distributor of the ball. But just releasing Raphael Leao and Leao taking it off to the races and scoring the only goal of the game, I I feel like I've already sort of said things like this a few times in, in recent weeks on the podcast. I know I was talking about it quite a lot, when he was absent actually for Milan, how important I think Rafael Leao is to them. I think in that Milan team, he's the player who really for me is the, I don't know, I mean, I guess you could put um, others in, 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 in the conversation as well. Tonali has huge upside. Teo Hernandez certainly has upside as well. I just, I think Leao can be really special. I, mean, I think he's the player who I'm most excited about his upside in that Milan team, which is saying something because it's a young team with lots of players with 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 big upside.
0: I think it's very difficult to sort of disagree with his talent and what he produces and the unpredictability. He is is so technically amazing to watch and really the difference maker in that and the way his change of pace, the way he can just jump on that pass and then score a goal. He is a better player than he was last season. He is growing. And that is something that I do, don't want to deny. But I still don't look at him and think to myself, I can depend on you. And that is my issue with several players in Milan, including Brahim Diaz, for example, or or Salmacas, or even Kessier right now. I, I do like Sometimes it's in and out. Benes can have a good game and Benes can have a bad game. Kessie can have a good game. Well, if he's being booed, certainly, and he can have a bad. But then, you know, Kessie on the whole, Theo Hernandez on the whole, they're more dependent people. I'm still not sure about Leao. I still feel that consistency is an issue. And I, and I need him. I mean, obviously he's scored big goals. He scored against Lazio. He scored against Atletico Madrid, but I need him to be somebody that is a reference point for me against the tighter defenses when he's being blocked and can really show me what he has, because I'm, I'm not entirely convinced there, if I'm honest, but you are very much
1: in love with the player. Yeah, I was actually just looking back at his numbers. It's funny because the consistency point is an interesting one, right? I was thinking earlier when we talked about Lautaro. Lautaro has scored once in his last nine matches, right? Now, um, Leao is, is on a tear right now. I think he's scored in something like five of the last eight games. He's also got a couple of assists in that run as well. But before that, he had a dry run and I was just checking it back. And funnily enough, it was one goal in nine games. So he actually has had a run, just like the one that Lautaro is on. Um, he came out of it again. So maybe Lautaro would as well. Young footballers and, and development. I, I, I do think that Leao has, has really, um, shifted up a gear from last year. I think last year, last season, when we talked about it, it was like, here's this sort of dazzling footballer who, loves to dribble, but gets a bit lost in it. And like, sort of, you never know what's, what to expect when he gets in the ball. I don't think it happened, which, you know, there's been lots yeah. of footballers like that. J- Javinho was a footballer like that. When, when you've got Javinho with the ball at his feet, you'd be like, oh, it's thrilled because anything could happen, but also you might fall anything over his own knees. <laughs> Whereas with Leao, it's not like that to me. With Leao, it's it's a trajectory and it's, it's the trajectory is upwards, even if there's a little bit of sort of 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 growing pains on the way. I, I yeah, I don't know. I think he's going to be Yeah, his ceiling is so
0: high. So you see the potential and you think to yourself, wow, if this kid provides the consistency, then he is on he can be on another level. I mean, comparable to the greats that we're talking about right now who are going for millions and millions of, of dollars in the transfer market. But you see, I'm always drawn to a Mike Manian or a Sandro Tonani, because for me those two have been consistently ridiculously brilliant in every single match, you know? Perhaps I'll never see from Tonali, or, oh, I don't know, I mean, Teo Hernandez does bug me quite a lot on a defensive level, but you you might not see the level that they, that Leao can actually reach. But, I mean, I do think it's interesting so that when Tonali was talking about Mania. he said he learned Italian in five days, you know, that's <laughs> just how great he is, you know? And you just think, you know, that, that's 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 got to be an exaggeration, right? But, it, it is that those two guys, you, they're just so depend. You always can depend on them. And Tom Hally, I am really quite shocked because last year, I, I, I wasn't sure. And everyone kept saying, oh, come on, he's just arrived for pressure and all of this. And I thought, is this a step too far? Is, is Milan too big? Mm-hmm. You know? And he has just been <laughs> ridiculously brilliant. There's just no role this guy can't cover. His tactical intelligence knows no bounds. He is a consistent performer. I don't know whether it's, he's a fan of the club and he cares more than anyone else on the pitch, but he has been absolutely stunning. And what I love about Milan is that when you look at them, you don't think that they can go and win all these matches, but they do. They really do have that never-say-die attitude. They're never happy with a point. They want to win everything ahead of them, and they don't ever make any excuses. So I'm, I'm just saying to you, when, you know, we talked about, for example, Inter's attitude when they lost against Satu and in the derby, you know, when they feel that sense of injustice and how they sort of surrender to their emotions. Milan are a side that, that don't care if the chips are against them. They keep going. They keep plugging away. And that is why, in many ways, that they sort of deserve the trophy. But based on the quality, Inter has been a better side. You know, so for that, they deserve it too. So it, it's just interesting to see we have two different teams and so much to appreciate in different ways about them. But Milan, for me, are, are like a great thing for a kid to watch you know like if I'm re- like they are just sort of that story where believe in yourself <laughs> it doesn't matter but you know keep working and and, and you'll make it like Renato, oh, you know?
1: man of the mighty ducks that's what I'm hearing <laughs> oh my god um, I'm like, can I Marco Giampaolo make a point come on he's yeah <laughs> I mean they did win last week didn't they but um yeah the Marco Giampaolo has returned to Sampdoria do you know, I saw a meme about that, Mina, which was mean, but which did make me laugh, which was after all this time, Marco Giampaolo has finally succeeded in what he promised to do when he first got to Milan, taking them to the top of Serie A. So, <laughs> unfortunately, yes, of it. course. For anyone who's, for anyone, because I never know, you know, we've got listeners, I'm sure, coming in from different um, amounts of Serie A information. Marco Giampaolo was hired a couple of summers ago to be the manager of Milan and was supposed to be one of the sort of up and coming, smart young footballers, a footballer, so smart young managers coming through in Italian football after having a promising time at Sampdoria. I think it was three seasons in a row he got them quite a, got into the top half of the table which doesn't sound like that much but you know Sampdoria have been a team that struggled to do that um, consistency in recent years and um yeah uh, there was this sort of contrast drawn right away with him and Antonio Conte Conte talking about testa basse pedalare you know head down and, and pedal and uh, Paolo gave this famous line, well, we're going to you know, have our heads up and play football, not heads down and pedal. And he, you know, lasted about four weeks. Um, which was, <laughs> I'm exaggerating slightly, but it was, it wasn't there for very long. Um, yeah, his, his career is on, it's on a tough trajectory and I'm probably being way too mean on him because look, he's done some good things in his career as well, but he certainly has not, um, not yet transformed Sam Doria. And this is a pretty uninspiring, uh, performance, uh, on the whole. Right. I think we need to move on, Mina, to the other sort of big, big game this weekend, which was Atalanta against Juventus. I have to be honest with you, Mina, having seen that Napoli draw mm-hmm. with Inter on, on Saturday, I came into this game a little bit for the first time in a while thinking, God, since Barb it's shown up, Juventus have pummeled two opponents in a row, counting the cop battalion midweek. They go and beat Atalanta are we are we pushing Juventus back in the title race it didn't quite work out like that but did it
0: no I don't think it's just you that thought that I mean there were lots of talks on on talk shows on Italian podcasts all about you know can can Juventus start dreaming again I don't know what that says about the state of Napoli mm-hmm. Inter and Milan that a team that is behind them all can can get back into the equation simply by purchasing <laughs> one player um well I mean I don't think they were all thinking you know Zachary is gonna be the guy, but you know what I mean. um, but frankly speaking, um, and you know you you know how I feel. I really did come into this game with very high hopes. Um, I love Atalanta, but I do think that they've lost a little something this year, and I think that they've come into this match without Juvan Zapata. So for me, that was already like a huge blow. um, it was gonna be it was gonna to be tough for them, and also at home. They'd only managed three wins. In this entire season in Serie a, they've only managed three home wins. They are a team that's much better on the road. So, yes, as a Juventus fan, purely as a Juventus fan, I had very, very high hopes. And Juventus was splendid in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful to watch. You know, all the motivation, all the desire to break through. Atalanta looked a little bit like what's going on here, you know. And but that was it. It was 20 minutes. And after that, it was almost like Atalanta said to themselves, wait, we can take this team on. Let's try. Let's, let's calm things down. Let's take it. You know, let's win our duels. Let's go back to being Atalanta. Settled in. And frankly speaking, I was more disturbed than ever by Max Allegri's choices. But I was astounded at the fact that he didn't make the right adjustments, that he took so long to make any. And that when he did, he chose to introduce more attacking players rather than actually address the problem that, that Juventus had, which is that they couldn't contain and they had no control. And this, isn't, this has been an issue for Juventus all season, but there are points where you felt like they had a little bit more control. And then you're sitting there saying, oh, well, there's lots of technical errors. Yes, there are, because you're asking the players to do a lot against, you know, and, and players who are much better off the ball than they are on it. So why? It's almost like you're conspiring to make this as hard as possible for Juventus. And more than anything, I think what irritated me even more is is despite the fact that I'm so chuffed at the fact that Cherubini and Ariva Bene had sold, you know, some players to bring in these wonderful guys like uh, Zakaria and Blaovic. I'm annoyed at watching Demaral for Atalanta because what a loss of a defender that man is. What a what an icon he could be. And once again, another great defender, much like Romero, just given to Atalanta. Mm. <sighs> That's my rant.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I was I was sort of really surprised and impressed by Atalanta in this game, I want to say. Yes. Um, I I didn't have the highest expectations of them coming to this game. And it's funny because um you know, actually, Atlanta, I believe, had exactly the same number of points in the standings at this point of the season that they had last season. But mm. we've talked about it a little bit um, in in recent weeks. They haven't felt as convincing. It's felt like, as I sort of guess, I sort of said at the beginning of the season, and maybe that's part of why it's felt like that because I came in with that expectation, like just like that that ability to defy gravity that can't last forever. Um, Maybe too many pieces were were not quite there, too many players had left, Sapat has been injured. Um, but classic Gasparini keeps coming up with with solutions. And, and the one that really caught my eye actually in this game before the goal, which we'll get to, but was was Coop Miners, is another 23-year-old playing behind the attack, which isn't even the position which he's played in the most and and really um you know, just performing really well in that position. You think, how, how does he keep coming up with? These discoveries and these adjustments and these, these young players and, and making it work in his system. And I, I, you know, I come back to, to who he is as a manager and the way he empowers players. I think it's, is, it's exciting. And that's, of course, I think what you were saying with Pioli as well, like what you like about him as a manager is how he empowers these young players to go and do things. Um, I, I also was encouraged and excited by, um, the early sort of, first, I guess, first version of, of Jeremy Boger, I thought we saw some of that nice running that we hoped to see from him and, and, and I think he's going to be such a good fit there and I think that's one that we, we thought at the time was a very, uh, a very neat signing but I do have to talk about the Malinovsky goal because that was, for me the sort of get out of your seat takes your breath away moment of the weekend it was just <laughs> such a good strike Malinowski! It really, like, when the, the more I looked at it, the more I thought that is, funnily enough, it's, it's, it's Pirlo's shot, it's, it's the maledetta, it's the one which he spent forever trying to work out, which was, I call it Pirlo's shot. Pelo was obsessed with learning it from Juninho at Leon, but he wrote about in his book that this, this long period he had of trying to work out how he did it. And it's when they Oh, and Pelo's telling you have to get your hit the ball flat with the front three toes underneath, and it causes the ball to travel up through the air without rotating at all. And then it starts to rotate in the air and comes down very sharply. And if you watch how that ball goes, it's it's that. It doesn't rotate super sharply at the end, but it starts to get that rotation as it dips in. I just Really incredible piece of technique, especially because this was actually not from a stationary ball. This was from a, a moving one. And at the point when that went in, Mina, I thought, we're done here. Atalanta are going to win this game. Because as you said, Juventus has started quite brightly, but I thought they were, I thought it was over when that goal went in. You, you didn't think that Juventus could come back in? No, it was 15 minutes left. I thought Atalanta were playing the better football by that point. It, it was, it, it seemed to me like that was, um, Done three points heading Ashland his way
0: you know what was so what was it is it, what's so impressive about Gasperini is that despite whoever he loses he never gives his team an alibi and that's what is so brilliant and I think that in this game he's the one who read the game much better than Allegri did and that is the superpower of Italian managers you know when people say why should we hire an Italian manager of anyone else it is because of that ability to make the right adjustments to read the game tactically and change what you're supposed to. And Luis Muriel, God love him, he's such a brilliant, brilliant forward and has been for Atlanta. But for some reason, he is still the better, the, the better choice off the bench rather than to start a match. And bringing in Malinovsky took away a reference point. He is that guy capable of those moments, you know, like capable of a Quarriarella moment. You know, the, where did that just, oh my God, that kind of really sensational beauty. And you're right, because it did come very late in the game. So you think to yourself, right, it's done and dusted because, you know, these guys have been plugging away Blaovic, Dybala, Morata, but not getting it right. Um, and, you know, it is one goal from Atalanta. And then Hattabal came up, hit the crossbar. And I thought, this is going to be too mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> This is going to be like... and And it's remarkable when you consider just how much, like, increased sort of motivations and happiness there was from Juventus and for it to just all be taken away so quickly from them. Because once again, I am I, I do look at this and think, how can you look at that game and think to yourself, oh, what's really missing is Cuadrado and Keane Like, are you being serious to me? You needed to add more attackers and not control. Like the, the team was floundering because everyone was covering so much space. And, you know, there was a, a time when Mandzukic was having to play left back practically for Juventus as a centre forward. And so, by the time he would get back into his position as a goal scorer, he'd be too tired to be precise. So, when someone wonders why Juventus's front three was so imprecise, it is because there was no control in midfield, and that wasn't addressed at any point. Which really upsets me when you when you think about Max Allegri and what is his superpower. And then he just starts throwing on bodies. And what's so interesting is the equalizer comes from a from a centre back, you know, in Danilo. Um, I mean, they really did throw the kitchen sink, hoping something, something was going to work out. But I felt for Atalanta. I I did feel for them because I thought that they were just brilliant, you know, and and they had made the most of what they had. They had settled into the game. They read it perfectly. The substitutions were correct. And another thing is, I want to talk to you about whether or not, you know, you thought that, I mean, they were so angry after the game, they thought to lift. Had a had a handball there, like you know, that it touched his arm, and there should have been a penalty. They were upset about Chesney coming out of this area. What do you think about all of that? Yeah, I, I am. Um, we never usually discuss pen, like you know, these types of decisions, but it's just like there was so much. I penalty. wasn't,
1: I wasn't sure on that call. I think there's a certain amount of frustration that's understandable for for players who are think felt like they had a, a big win under their belts and, and had it taken away and emotions that bubble up a bit in those moments. I mean, just to sort of quickly provide the context for the league table, because we talked about the the, the top, top, um, Juventus came into this game two points ahead of Atalanta, but Atalanta have a game in hand. So for Juventus, it was a chance to sort of give themselves a real hold on fourth place rather than um, this sort of uh, out of their control one. For Atalanta, it was a chance to, to leapfrog Juventus and still have the game in hand. And they very nearly did it. I actually thought Delict had a really good game, by the way. I thought he was one of the Juventus players who I, I, I came out of yeah. it thinking, you know what, people, people don't seem to talk about these games with Delict. They talk about, um, the, the handballs and the moments he gets wrong. But actually, I thought he was really good in this game and, and probably Juventus' best defender. And, and that, um, bears saying, I, I do think it's, um, predictable, but important nevertheless, Mina, that we, um, have a quick, uh, what do we think about Dušan Vlavic, Cause we are still talking about the, um, Third most expensive signing ever, I believe, in Europe's uh, European leagues, by the way, in a January transfer window. I thought he was really sort of game changing in his first two games, obviously, in in the the League against Verona, the Cup against Sassuolo. Didn't manage to to leave his mark on this game. Did you uh think he was still looking good? Because this was definitely the, the toughest game he's played so far, or or what did you think?
0: Yeah, I don't think I think that uh, there was obviously a moment where Dybala chose to strike the ball because it was in the Dybala zone. Um, So I I sort of understand that Um, when he could have squared it and made life easier for Vlaovic to get a goal. There was a moment where, yet again, Juventus sort of struggled with with the quick pass and Morata held on it for too long. So I don't think he was helped necessarily by his supporting members. Again, I have issues with the midfield and the lack of control there. So he was being tasked with doing so much. But I think, honestly speaking, this is why I think it's important to mention Demar's performance. I think that he was quite physically dominated by a player who knew exactly how to handle him. And I'm happy that he had this experience because when he does play in the Champions League, he will be facing the likes of Sergio Ramos one day or all those types of defenders that really know how to, to sort of bully you. And you have to be strong enough to know how to handle that. And so I think it's a good sort of learning curve. I was still very happy with performance. Um, less happy with with everyone else, perhaps around him. But um, I mean, I, I'm not like, I'm not going to expect fireworks and this guy to be the savior of Juventus. And I think it's. People might obviously look to him as a, such a bigger name that hopefully he can always resolve issues, but it's got to be the tactics and it's got to be a team effort. And I just didn't necessarily see that from Juventus um, for much of the game.
1: Right. I just touched on the Coppa Italia, so I'm going to move on to that very quickly. Um, we're going to have a, a big discussion about them, but the Coppa Italia quarterfinals got played this week. Um, we have got uh, Inter beat Roma 2-0, Milan uh, beat Lazio 4-0, Juventus beats Sassuolo 2-1, Fiorentina beat Atalanta 3-2. So we've got uh, two very juicy semifinals coming up. We've got a Milan derby and we've got uh, Juventus against Fiorentina, which of course means Vlaovic against this old club already. Those are the semifinals. If you are a conspiracy theorist like uh, Maurizio Sarri is, the Lazio manager, you might think it's all very convenient that we've got those two semifinals. Uh, he talked about uh, the, the tournament before Lazio's game as the most un- anti-sporting in the world and uh, lamented about how the draw is on. I actually agree with some of the things, the points he was raising. I think it is very odd that um you, you look at the FA Cup in England where the draw is a public event, uh, less than it used to be, but still you can, you can watch it live and and see it shared and the Coppa Italia just all sort of gets sort of produced somewhere and we don't get shown it all and and, and have it all sort of happen in that way. I I do understand where he's coming from on that. Um, I also, um, uh, not that I actually think anything suspicious is going on, but I just think that's like a, I, I do think that's, um, that's an odd way to, to handle your tournament. And certainly it's true what he said, that it's designed to put, um, uh, certain clubs at an advantage because it, it clearly is that the top level, top division clubs come into the competition later, which is pretty standard, but they come in really late compared to other competitions like the FA Cup. And it is designed to, to favor top clubs. Although having said that, among the top clubs who've done very well out of it recently are Sarri's club. Um, not while he's in there, but last year. So, uh, the fact that he got uh, his team thumped, um, quite so badly still does not reflect great on. Kim, yeah. <laughs> having said that, while we're on the subject of Sarri, a uh, big 3-0 win this weekend, um, Mina. I mean, this is such a yo-yo team. As I said, beaten 4-0 in the cup, come back and beat Bologna 3-0. Are we still just throwing our hands up in the air and, and saying, sure, you know, this is just Sarri madness that's happening in, in El Asia or what? I mean, it's also
0: remarkable that it's another clean sheet. So it's all—I think that that shocks me more than anything else because it's the fact that they are managing like, to to understand how to defend, you know. But it, it, you're right because I don't know how you can go from these, you know, fabulous performances such as the one against Bologna, who humiliated them in the reverse fixture, you know, um, to going into like a loss like that in the Coppa Italia against Milan. I don't know what to expect from this side, but. I I do feel that Sadi is very good in making teams play well when he has a specific amount of time. I do think Zakani is fantastic. I do worry about the side and how well they will do without Immobile. But I, I don't know what to expect from the side. It's sort of anything. I, I mean, it's almost like this is a team that if it, it's in the relegation spot or it's in the Champions League spot, I'm going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. I? <laughs> It's it's remarkable, really. But I think with this specific victory, I'm going to say I do worry about Bologna and the way they have performed in 2022. They haven't managed to win yet. I, I do feel there's a lack of desire on their behalf, a lack of ambition. I don't recognize the Sinisa Mihailovic attitude that I associate them to. And so I wonder whether this is more about them just not even trying or whether Lazio really are becoming a formidable side that doesn't just be good football, but really cynical, effective football.
1: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about um, Matias Acani. He seems to be having a little bit of a sort of breakout moment under Sarri. And it's interesting, of course, because playing on the left side of an attack, you know who else had uh, some breakout seasons some of his best seasons under uh, Sarri playing on the left of an attack? A certain forward we were talking about earlier, um, uh, Lorenzo Senior, who mm-hmm. um, was uh, very much um, in that same interview I mentioned actually earlier, but the and he was talking about the different managers he's worked under and, you know, Zayman is the one who sort of, um, formed him and, and, um, and the different sort of roles that Benitez and Ancelotti had, had He said that Sarri for him, he said Sarri was pure joy. Uh, football was, was, was just joy. And I think he was sort of saying, you know, um, I, I just was allowed to concentrate on, on, on attacking and, and enjoying that. And, and for him, he really did. And, um, Zaccagni is a player who signed from Verona, who um I was really interested in when he was at Verona, scored uh, a couple of absolutely outrageous goals. Um, and end up getting sort of a nickname of Zakanyate as you know, Zakanyisms, where he's doing these acrobatic scissor kicks in the area. But uh, I I really um whatever else Sally is or isn't Um, He definitely has that habit for getting into certain players' heads and and getting the best out of them. And I wonder if that pairing could become something uh, really fun. Uh, Our producer, Simon, is is, uh, in our shared document right now asking a a double question, which is, is he due for a call-up? But then saying he stole Zaniolo's girlfriend. So could that cause trouble? I mean, drama in the city of <laughs> Rome, two sides of uh, the footballing city and two young talented footballers.
0: Wait, is this Zaniolo's ex-girlfriend who is pregnant from Zaniolo or no? We have to ask
1: our gossip columnist. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't honestly know the answer to that one. I don't know if our producer Simon is, is more up on that than I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not. I have to admit. But
0: can I also just give another, another shout out to let Daddy because I feel like I felt a little bad for him because he wasn't being played, and I'm such a fan of his because just he's just that vertical, nonstop energy, and I'm, I'm really glad that seeing him playing um, with Zekani, it's, it's across the pitch. There's just quality from everywhere and, and real forward thrust and, and technique and, and and pace and power and. Yeah, it's fun to watch. I have to say, Lazio are really fun yeah. to watch at the moment when it strikes and when it's when they are they are they are. That's just say more fun than Roma right now.
1: Yeah, yeah, but yeah, exactly. They've got so much attacking stuff that comes together when it's all there. Of course, the obvious names: Milinkovic, Savage, Immobile, Luis Alberto, still there. Sassuolo against Roma. Since you mentioned Roma, Mina. Um, Very different uh, vibes going on there right now. Obviously, lost in the Coppa Italia, which was Mourinho's return to San Siro to face Inter, um, where he was warmly received. Um, His team did not do well, though. Then a draw with Sassuolo, which felt like it was a stolen draw by the end of this game to me. I thought Sassuolo were the better team, were winning until uh, late again, and let Roma off the hook. And yet, you know, Mourinho is still broadly quite popular with the Roma supporter base so what do you make of it
0: I mean honestly I, I'm sort of like a little it, it's tough to constantly like talk about him every week and say to yourself like I I'm just I'm still expecting this team to do more than this mm-hmm. you know I'm still expecting for better than this um and then you know <laughs> look this nearly was the 12th loss of the season and I'm not entirely sure whether it's simply because he knows how to, I guess, say, I mean, look at them, like, look at the players that I have. What are you expecting? I don't know whether he just has a way of addressing the spectator, you know, the fan. But my worry is is how many of these good players that I like are going to be sold to keep bringing in. Like, I, I get it, you know, Oliveira is a good midfielder, but I, I'm scared about, like, I don't think some of these people that he's chasing on the market are necessarily better than than what they had, or it's just easier for him because he doesn't have to develop them as much. I really don't know, but it, it worries me when you've given away the likes of Vilar and there's talk of Ibanez going and all of this. And, and I'm not seeing the people that are coming in at either older, um, you know, Shaka really, that's the guy that you want more than anything for your midfield it worries me. But again, you know, he's somebody who speaks to power. He's the one who's saying we're not a big club. And and this is what, you know, Roma want. They like the siege mentality. So I wonder if this is why the fans are on board because they feel like they've been hard done by because they feel like, you know, the way that the refereeing mistakes have gone, it's, it's not been to their favor. And this is somebody who's talking out about it, even though he was somebody who was the coach of Manchester United, the coach of Chelsea, the coach of like capitalism in every <laughs> single way, Real Madrid, Inter, you know, you know, really like putting his foot on the neck of these small clubs. But now, of course, you know, he understands what it's like on the other side. And uh, I mean, frankly speaking, they might win or they might lose, but I cannot see their football right now and think to myself, yeah, this is a team I'm definitely scared of. I look at this team as as... For me, if I'm Inter, an
1: easy one right now. Yeah, there's a real step in quality, isn't there, between those teams. I think there's there's five teams in Serie A this season who are now clearly sort of apart from the rest, which is the ones we've talked about first off the bat. It's, It's Inter, Napoli, Milan, Atlanta and Juventus. Those are the five teams who are competing for four places in the Champions League. Then you have Lazio, who are just... All over the place. Like, who knows what to expect? Three 0 win, four nil loss, could be anything. <laughs> but when they're good, they're quite exciting. When they're good, they're really like, oh yeah, okay, this is fun. Roma, I don't even know. To me, they're they, you know they're they're on a similar level overall to Lazio, and they're sort of a bit more reliable. But they don't have the the excitement, I guess, that that Lazio do when it all comes together quite right. I I just feel like. It's it is really boring talking every week about Mourinho. And I wish we weren't doing it in lots of ways. And maybe we should make make it a more deliberate effort to to broaden the conversation beyond that. We could talk about Bristante, of course, who saved the day again. Talk about Tam Abraham, who really is scoring very consistently. But it's just hard not to when you see this game and the sort of scrabble to get a draw which they, they barely merited. It's hard not to think back to the first time they faced us this season, which was, of course, Mourinho's 1,000th game and him doing that charge down the sideline and it feeling like good Mourinho. Mm. And I just feel like I haven't felt the good Mourinho vibes there in, in in some time now. But who knows? Things can always change. I think that's the main talking points we wanted to hit from Serie A this weekend. We do have a Champions League and Europa League round coming up in midweek. Some really, really interesting games uh, this week. We've got Inter against Liverpool is the big one. Uh, Barcelona against Napoli, though, I think in the Europa League is also very exciting. And then uh, Ashland-Trippeng in Impiacos and Porto-Lazio. So Porto-Lazio could be a really good game if we get fun Lancia. Yeah, it could be really, really good. So, yes. Yeah, I'm so excited. Some one. really fun ties coming up this week. Um, obviously, by the time people listen to this, uh, we'll already be um, getting quite close to the first of those. Uh, just really quick thoughts, Mina. How do you see these all shaking out of the Italian clubs? Well, badly?
0: Um, well, considering Barcelona's performance against Espanyol, I definitely think Napoli have what it takes. I just hope that the name Barcelona doesn't intimidate them and that they're not happy with just a win but a crushing win would be, would be perfect. And they're capable of it. So I really hope they show, they show Barcelona that they can and have that. Um, They have the better feet. They have the better, the, the better right now, that capability of fluidity of play that right now Barcelona are trying to recover. So I hope that they do that. Into Liverpool, I'll be honest with you, I was a lot a lot more positive about this when the draw was initially made I thought oh maybe something could happen in this maybe into could bring a surprise I'm now almost defeatist in my attitude and think Liverpool have just won their last six matches they're just even they're winning when they're playing badly so I'm I'm scared yeah Atalanta and Lazio I do have high hopes for
1: yeah I, I'm the same as you unfortunately in inter Liverpool game I always say it Yeah, Champions League is about form and hitting at the right time. I think Inter are finding some of their worst form at the wrong time. Uh, Liverpool clearly are in quite strong form. I, I do think low key, like my personal feeling on Inter at the moment, it's not all of the explanation at all. There's more to it, but I do think that Bastoni being out really hurts them. I think that Bastoni is such an interesting player in how he interprets that role because notionally he's centre-back, but he really pushes up a lot on the left-hand side. And together with Perisic, that's a really important axis for Inter sometimes. And and he is, I've seen some reports saying he could be back for this Liverpool game. I'm, I'm worried about him being rushed in too quickly. But of course, either way, Barella is also um, going to be missing from suspension, which is a big blow. Same as you, I think Napoli need to set themselves high expectations for that Barcelona game because they're good enough. And I think all of the Europa League ties actually I'm, I'm quite fascinated in. Of course, those games are all in midweek. We record our main podcast every week on Mondays. But if you want to hear some thoughts from Mina and I on those Champions League games after they've happened, Patreon subscribers will get some little uh, voice notes from us, I think, this week. So yeah, um, hopefully those of you who are Patreon subscribers look forward to that. The rest of you, you can sign up on the website com,
0: And of course, we'll be back on Friday with the Chronicles Q&A Mailbag show. Check out our website at seriachronicles.com and click the Chronicles to Z button to join our Patreon community where you'll get access to those voice notes that Nikki just described, as well as to exclusive episodes and bonus content or you can choose to contribute a smaller amount as a supporter without the bonus content if you just want to help us keep sediac Chronicles running. Obviously, this is an independent podcast and we have several people working on this. So do find us on Twitter at Seriak at Nikki Bandini or at Mina Rizuki. Subscribe to the sediac Chronicles YouTube channel for clips of the show. Most of the time I'm applying my lipstick while Nikki's navigating her technology. <laughs>
1: I feel like I'm always drinking tea. I'm constantly drinking tea. That's what I do on the videos. Just always having a slug of tea, which to be fair, is is my life, so that's fair enough.
0: Oh Nikki, you're literally the quintessential English
1: <laughs> It's way too English sometimes, aren't I? I really despise <laughs> you,
0: so I'm, I'm I am not the person to come to. Do catch clips of the show and leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. I've been having a lot of fun reading some of the ones that are already there. Or oh, not only on Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. Please do and only do so if they are positive. I don't want to hear from you if you're a troll.
1: But you know, if you're a troll and you've listened this far, thanks for sticking with <laughs> Yeah, that is true, actually, Lenny. You are you are a highly motivated troll. <laughs> I like
0: that about <laughs> you. So Thank you, we'll be back on Friday and of course the main show next Tuesday. Forza Calcio, let's hope they do an amazing job midweek. We'll see you then. Ciao il
1: per Schillacci tra due avversari sulla ribattuta Giannini terra un giocatore cecoslovacco, Giannini da Baggio, a e terra Bielic, triangolazione Baggio, Baggio che converge, Baggio, 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 finta di Baggio, tira, grandissimo gol di Baggio, grandissima impresa di Baggio, veramente bravo, ha fatto una cosa che veramente fa esplodere giustamente l'Olimpico, rivediamo fa partire lui l'azione cercando Giannini
0: gli dà la palla Giannini, salta il primo avversario e va verso il centro vedete come c'è la palla attaccata al piede finta anche il secondo, aspetta il tiro e rimette la palla fa sedere il portiere,
1: sul palo opposto a quale non si è il portiere, fantastico è un pezzo da antologia calcistica, vedete la finta sull'ultimo difensore E poi la battuta in controtempo sull'accenno di uscita del portiere. Una prodezza eccellente. Rivediamo ancora. Immagini che si commentano da sole. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's
0: time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with
1: Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.